Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. The practice of the presence of God is the most holy, the most all-encompassing and most necessary pr practice of the spiritual life. It trains the soul to find its joy in divine companionship. At all times and at every moment, it engages the soul in humble and loving communion without rules or methods. This is practiced in all circumstances, in times of temptation and tribulation, spiritual dryness and apathy. That's a quote uh, from the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, by Brother Lawrence, written in the 17th century. Last week, I talked about the realization of presence as being the inner secret of enlightenment. The realization of presence being the inner secret of enlightenment. That the meeting of the presence within our soul and the presence that's all around us brings about the experience and the reality of oneness that is at the root of enlightenment. In the merging of the presence within us and the presence outside us, we arrive at that sense of oneness where there is no inside or outside. And that's the key to understanding the reality of existence. Just the unimportant subjects today we're talking about. It's like being a sponge at the bottom of the ocean. We become aware of our very being as being merged with the universe, as the sponge at the bottom of the ocean is merged with the ocean. In everyday life, we're denied that experience because our rational minds insist that we control the way that we express ourselves. Our rational minds control the way we express ourselves and judge the expression of all those around us. We see plants and rocks as often being unworthy of our attention. And we dismiss people in the same way. We're prescriptive as to how we show ourselves to others and therefore control the way that we come across. That line from Shakespeare, for there is, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, from Hamlet. Unless you become like little children, Jesus said, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the ways that little children express themselves is through their abandon. They give themselves generously, not holding back. You see them cavorting around without any thought of how they're being seen. And they take the world as it comes. That, that lovely quote, love comes naturally. Hatred is learnt. And Brother Lawrence is saying here, that practicing that natural presence is the most holy, the most all-encompassing, and the most necessary practice of the spiritual life. We're being asked to be in the presence of our own souls, 
and in the presence of the great soul that's all around us, rather than just being in the presence of our minds. That lovely quote from Crowded House, you take the weather with you wherever you go. And you, you do that by taking the mind and its concerns with you wherever you go. What's being asked of us is to be in the very presence of that ocean of the soul within which we exist, that our sponge of a body might be able to freely move and flow with the ocean, appreciating it and loving it as we live. Now, it's a tall order, but it does give us a glimpse into where we're currently putting our attention. The image, I think, of the 21st century is of someone looking down at their phone while all life goes on around them. Now, I've got nothing against phones. I love my phone. But our preoccupation with phones and our screens is almost a mirror of the way that we're preoccupied with our minds and our thoughts. We see the world now through the prism of our screens, just as we see the world through the prism of our mind. And, you know, we miss so much by doing that. Our screens are, in fact, a substitute for presence. They're, they're a manufactured presence. They give the illusion of presence in a way that immediately satisfies and gratifies us. That's the attraction of film and television. We're immersed in a world that's not real. And yet we're able to feel emotions and be absorbed without any of the consequences. We vicariously live through the experiences and then we go home for supper. It's the same with social media. We have the appearance of friends, of involvement. However, it's at arm's length, which also means it's more difficult to deal with it when it gets out of hand. Particularly, you know, with young people, there's an opportunity to be horrible to someone, and with older people, to be horrible to people anonymously. There are none of the, the repercussions of in-presence activity. In the same way, we live in our minds rather than in real life. We weigh things up, we distort things with our views, and then we, we, we act out of our distortions. On the other hand, we know how we can appreciate the glories of the mountains around us, the wonderful full colours as we walk around. None of us are going to go on a hike and stay glued to our phones. But I do wonder about people who walk and run listening to music or podcasts. It seems that they're missing a great deal when you see people with their headphones on on the trails. But we do that in our lives when we use the filter of our minds to screen out that which we don't think we're interested in. And the reason we do that is that we're more interested, we're more interested in our minds than in anything else. We identify with them, and therefore we pay more attention to them. To practice presence is to let go of that and to be in the presence of what's right in front of us. 
be it mountains, trains, buildings, people, or plants. All of them are a manifestation of the presence that's behind everything. Just as we are, everything is expressing that presence, like the ocean, and we're all a part of that. Which is why presence is the inner secret of enlightenment. As Jesus said, Jesus really expressed it perfectly. He said, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's an expression of presence. He's talking about where his attention is. He is in the presence of the Father. I am in the Father, in the presence of the ground of being of all reality, the universal mind, the creative force. He's saying, I'm within that. And at the same time, he's saying, he's also aware of the presence of his disciples. You are in me. I know your presence is within me. He's aware of their presence. And he's asking the disciples to beware of both his presence and the presence of the universal mind. And I and the Father am in you. In this statement, he's describing that grand presence, that open enlightenment that acknowledges all presence as being of one. I'm going to talk about more about that next week. We don't think in those terms normally because our minds think of us as being separate. But as the Dalai Lama says, that separateness is only because we're not fully conscious of that presence. The Dalai Lama says that the nature of consciousness is such that it's not at all material. It has no material shape or color whatsoever. And as such, he says that consciousness is not quantifiable in scientific terms, and it does, doesn't lend itself to scientific investigation. Instead of having some material nature, consciousness is by nature mere experience, mere awareness. He says, I know, or I am aware. When we say I know, when we say I am aware, there seems to be an agent I who engages in the activity of knowing or being aware. But the Dalai Lama says what we mean by consciousness is not the I in that sense, but it is the capacity in dependence upon which one knows or is aware. He says the consciousness that presence is the capacity to know or be aware. It is, in other words, the activity or the process of knowing itself. That's because, generally speaking, we associate knowing with an external object, a pleasant or unpleasant sensation. In short, in our ordinary experience, consciousness comes caught up with a dualistic object and a subject. I see a beige coat. I see a beige coat. There's immediately duality in the eye seeing the beige coat. But what the Dalai Lama is saying is that that facility of knowing includes the eye and includes the seeing and includes the beige coat. So we have to have that facility of knowing. And you've got to maintain, he says, an alertness and gradually stop the fluctuations of thought and sensory experience within our minds. And then it's possible to glimpse that presence. 
You can do that through meditation to expend, extend that duration of being aware of that presence. And then the nature of the mind becomes more aware. We become more aware of that presence. And that's how we recognize the nature of consciousness in contrast to consciousness that's just related to physical reality. The Dalai Lama is making a distinction between I-Thou, the idea of two, and the idea of an immersed one, which is what we find when we put our attention on the capacity for knowing rather than try to find answers and explanations. We sit with the question. Brother Lawrence advocated that continual communion with that presence. Our role is to come from that capacity to know rather than the actual knowing and judging that the mind undertakes. And if we rest, I think, in that capacity to know, then we, we can appreciate all that's around us and within us by knowing it directly rather than judging it. We're in a state of openness that allows presence to flow freely around us. There is no within or without. There's just immersion like the sponge in the ocean. That's, that's the theory of it. The practice is always a bit more elusive. Try and do it. You know, that weather that we carry with us most of the time can be a slow drizzle of rain that takes the shine off most of what's around us. We're continually in conversation with our dissatisfaction. What the mind feels it's not got and that by rights it should have. We can see it in ourselves and those around us. The lack of appreciation, the lack of gratitude, of thanks for what we have compared to the complaints and anger about what we don't have. And I think one is linked with the other. The more appreciate, the more that we appreciate, the more we're grateful for, the less room we have to complain. As I said before, everything has presence. That person sitting next to you on the sofa, the screen, the room, the plants, the snacks, the coffee, they all give off presence. And to practice that presence, you have to appreciate all those things and give thanks for them rather than complain about what we don't have. And it's all about what we want to have around us. Do we want to have a creative, loving presence of the divine within everything or the bitching of the mind that is continually inflicting on us? We have to work at it. Obviously, the key place for doing that is our meditation and whatever spiritual practice we have, be that being in the presence of music or walking in the mountains or, or coming to events like this. However, we're challenged to take that practice into our daily life, to practice the presence while washing up or cleaning or watching debates on television, while talking to our friends and family, while driving, while reading a book. All the time we have a choice of being with what is actually in front of us or what we think about what's in front of us. Because presence is immediate. 
We are most aware of it when we're asked to acknowledge it. You know, we talk about coming into that you are going to come into the presence of the king. You're going to come into the presence of the Dalai Lama. You're going to come into the presence of the Pope. We speak about it when we talk about it, a big thing that we're going to meet. In these circumstances, just being in the presence is acknowledged as that big thing. And we act accordingly, no matter what's said and done. In our everyday life, we downplay the idea of presence. We take it for granted. And what's important is what's said and done. To think rather than to be is to choose the presence of the mind rather than the presence of what actually is. And as the mind is just thoughts, we're choosing our phones again over reality. We're choosing a substitute for living, thinking about living, rather than the experience of the real thing. And that's something, to, to have that experience of the real thing, we have to do it consciously. We have to practice it as we're walking along, as we're sitting here, as we're with people. We have to be aware of our own presence and the presence that's right in front of us. And we can practice that in meditation. Breath is a great, I think breath is a great connector. It's an in and an out. It, it, we are, the source of our breath, in fact, our lungs, are right in the center of the world. It brings the inner world and the outer world right together. In my meditation, when I breathe in, I imagine myself breathing in all that's around me. And when I breathe out, I imagine my presence going out to all that's around me. And it's interesting, I think, because as I continually do it, I begin to get the idea that it's not just my body that I'm breathing, but in some way that my lungs and my presence are actually serving as the lungs of the universe. So when I breathe in and breathe out, it, the universe is breathing in and breathing out through my lungs. It's as if my body is acting as the lungs for all that there is out there. And I'm playing my part in keeping the universe going. So do you imagine trying that out just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of guided meditation to see if it, it, it is for you and Views at home, you can do this as well. So I'm going to invite you just to sit there, maybe with your eyes closed for the moment. And just notice your breathing. Breathing in and breathing out. Now open your eyes and fix your eyes on a spot. If you're at home on the wall or here, just any spot, just keep that spot in your vision and don't look away from it. Look at that spot. And now notice your breathing as you're looking at that spot. Breathing in the presence of all that's around you. and breathing out the presence that within you. 
you're the meeting place of what's within and what's without. Breathing in the presence, breathing out your presence. And I just begin to get the idea that when you breathe out, the universe is breathing in your breath, that you are acting as the lungs of the universe, that you are part of it and you're feeding it with your presence. As you breathe out, the universe is in some way breathing in. And you and your lungs and the universe are all one. Okay. Do you get a sense of that? Anybody? Do you get a sense of nod your head if you're not? Some of them are nodding. <laughs> Look at me, Chris. Okay, thank you. I'm going to hand over to Heather now for the prayers. So it, I think it's so interesting, <laughs> the whole thing that with spirituality and with the whole idea of presence, it's not just for when you're in a good situation. So often we think, you know, the whole spiritual life is all about you know, arriving at a point of bliss or, or whatever it is, and we're all okay and things like that. But actually, it's about dealing with being in the presence of hardship and difficulty as well as everything else. And, you know, I think the metal is whether or not you're able to stay present to that or whether or not you suddenly escape into your mind and think, you know, yeah, now I'm in this situation, I can give lots of reasons and all that sort of business for it. It's interesting. I don't know about you guys. I feel an amazing sense of presence right now in this room and between us in this conversation. Um, I feel it. I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my body and and in my mind. And may, maybe yeah. there's something about the, the, the that balance. But uh, but you know, your talk made me think of um, pres as well. Prayer really then is the cultivation of presence, isn't it? Prayer yeah. then becomes a, an inner stance. A disposition, a um, uh, an orientation kind of thing, a stance, and and the other thing I was thinking about was, um, I think sometimes in our conversation we we use the word presence and silence interchangeably, whereas actually they're different things, and maybe a way into experiencing uh, experiencing and cultivating that presence is to find ways of cultivating silence. And because within silence is immense knowing, like knowing is inside of silence. I think Thomas Keating said, um, silence is God's first language. Like if we can really become accustomed to, not like outside silence, but like our inner silence, then we're on our way to really experiencing presence. And um, th this week, sorry, I'm going on. <laughs> no, 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 go on. <laughs> This week I was reading um, Robert Sardello's book called Silence, and um, he talks about silence as our ever-faithful companion presence. Yeah. And like, if we can just befriend that, that um, companion presence, we all have that with us all the time. Um, we're surrounded by silence. 
Um, silence was there before we were born into silence. We all have our own silence. And I just feel like um, to inhabit that silence is the beginning of really experiencing presence. So silence really is the gateway to presence, isn't it? Yeah, that's, what, that's how I feel yeah, about it. And, and actually, when we're going into meditation, we're really saying to the mind, shut up, aren't we? You know, we're really saying, I- I'm going to go into the silence, which is my body. The silence and, and, and enable that presence to come to me. And I love the idea that prayer is, again, you know, it is communion. It is, that pre- it is communion with that divine presence. It's bringing that into our lives, isn't it? Yeah, I do like the idea of being kind to our mind, like allowing our mind and all our emotions and thoughts and all the, you know, difficulties <laughs> that we live with just to, like, settle, you know, let it settle, let it just become part of our embodied experience. Yeah. And just, like, let it just... Let it all just be there together, but so encompassed and, and held by a great silence. Because, we're, as you say, we're, we're training the mind to serve, aren't we, in that? Yeah. As you say, I think I love the idea of being kind to the mind because, you know, the mind has got us where we are. And all that's happening is we're training the mind to serve the heart. Exactly. And the mind, therefore, is a great resource in the service of the heart. It's where, it's where we can receive inspiration in our minds. And when it becomes not about serving the ego, but it becomes serving the heart, then our minds become a part of that gateway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. Yeah. Does anyone want to say anything? If, if you, I'll, I'll repeat it. If you, if you put your hand, if you, you don't have to. Maybe next week we'll, 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 we'll suggest that. We can't put my friends out there, but I can repeat what's being said. So maybe next week we'll, we'll, we will take that. But... Um, yeah, so into that silence. And also, you know, the silence of music. And, you know, when we hear that music, we don't want to be thinking about other stuff. We just want to be sati, isn't it, as we're playing today. All three are sati. And to hear uh, that music, we just need to have that silence in our hearts. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.